So at the Christmas party this year, the district superintendent told an interesting story about the largest diamond that was ever found. And a preacher is not one to let a good story go to waste. So I wanted to share it with you this morning. It's the story of the Cullinan diamond, named after the owner of the mine in which it was found. The diamond itself was larger, was, uh, larger than 3,000 carats, and it was found in Praetoria, South Africa. Frederick Wells was in the mine when he spotted the glimmer of light from the diamond. Could you imagine being the, st the person to stumble across such a rare find? Astonished, I imagine. He was astonished by its beauty, its size. I couldn't wait to tell someone, anyone, what he had just found. Well, the diamond was supposed to be part of the British crown jewels, but those in charge of the transportation to England were worried about how to get it there without getting it stolen. I mean, right? That's a pretty big diamond to move without being noticed. So they had to come up with a plan, and they made this elaborate plan. They made up a pretend shipment, called in the media to cover the story of its departure, and sent the diamond on a ship to England, so the world thought. The real diamond, however, was in a plain box marked as a normal piece of parcel post delivered by the mailman. Not even the mailman knew what he was carrying, though. Can you imagine? what he would have thought if he did. This diamond was being transported. No royal protection, none of today's helpful package, uh, package tracking, uh, like what you have probably checked a thousand times this Christmas season, am I right? Yeah, you check that package, you feel a little nervous for the diamond, don't you? A precious item, so vulnerable, journeying among the ordinary. That's the story of the incarnation of Jesus coming to earth, isn't it? He didn't come with royal robes, but with what? Swaddling clothes, right? He didn't come with bodyguards, but with ordinary parents who probably got upset and were tired at night when he was crying, right? Who he got upset with later. Jesus came into the messiness of the world and you feel a little nervous for him, don't you, with Herod just around the corner of this story. Because do you remember what Herod was up to? He had just ordered the massacre of every Hebrew boy under the age of two. You feel a little nervous for Jesus, born not in a clean and sanitized hospital, but in a barn or a cave or something like that, and placed in the feed trough to sleep that first night. When our daughter Hazel was born, her first pediatrician, church member here, gave us some very important and practical advice. He encouraged us to wash our hands before holding that precious newborn bundle. Because why? Babies are prone. Uh, their, their systems are more fragile, right? They have to build up strength. They're prone to, the, to get those germs. So whenever anybody held her, we were supposed to ask them to wash their hands. Now, I didn't ask him about putting her down to sleep in the dog bowl, but 
but I can imagine what he might have thought about that. Or if I had to told him that we were just going to use the cow trough from our barn because we didn't have a crib, right? You can imagine this newborn baby is born outside in the elements, placed in an animal trough, and you feel a little nervous for him, don't you? But that is the story, the gospel story, the story of the good news that God didn't care, that God wanted to come to earth to be with us, even in the messiness and fleshiness of life. The word became flesh, became a child and dwelt among us. The Greek word for dwelt here in this passage comes from the root word for tabernacle. So we could translate this verse to be something more like the word became flesh and tabernacled or pitched a tent among us. He set up shop. He pitched a tent to be with us. When Charles and I were in seminary, my husband Charles and I, when we were in seminary, we would often go camping with friends over fall and spring breaks. We love camping and hiking, and staying in a tent in the mountains can be fun when the weather cooperates. But just about every time we went without fail, it rained. It was never enough rain to completely rain us out, but always just enough to make you perpetually damp. So, our senior year, we finally got smart and all went in together to rent a cabin. And surprising to none of us, it rained almost the whole time we were there. But we were able to enjoy the comfort and dryness of our cabin. So in our passage, when John says that God pitched his tent among us, that's a reminder that God didn't mind getting wet and dirty to be with us. And although a reliable stationary dwelling, a house, right, has many benefits, there is something you can do with a tent that you can't with a house. What's that? You can take a tent with you just about wherever you want to go, right? In the Old Testament, King David felt bad about living in a house while the Ark of God, the covenant of God, stayed in a little old tent or a tabernacle, as it's called. So, what did David decide to do about that? He decided to build God a house, but God said to him, David, now when did I ask you to build me a house? No, I never asked you to do that. I haven't lived in a house since I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt till now. I've been living in a tent so that I could be with my people. In the Old Testament, even, God did not choose to live in the security of a house, but to dwell in a tent that allowed him to move about, to be with the people. When the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, they're not alone, because God journeyed with them in the tent. Sometimes we think this is just a New Testament understanding of God, but our God is the same throughout time. God has always been a God seeking to journey with us, to walk alongside us in the messiness and fleshiness of life. When reflecting on what the incarnation means, what it means that the Word became flesh and pitched His tent among us, Barbara Brown Taylor said, Relatively late in life, I've decided that the incarnation is less a doctrine than a practice. She says in another way, 
it wasn't just a one-time thing. Jesus coming to earth, Jesus took on flesh to reveal to any who were willing to see how God's word might become flesh in their own lives too. I think we'd do well to turn this realization into a question for us each day. How is God's word becoming flesh in our lives? So I consider that question, I can't help but think of a story from a foster mother who works with the United Methodist Children's Home. You know, we just took an offering up for them on Christmas Eve. And the little girl, just five years old, was getting a tour of her new home. Her foster mother was showing her around, showed her the bathroom, popped open a package, and handed the child a toothbrush. The girl's eyes got huge. This is mine? she asked. Yes, the foster mother said. Your very own toothbrush. The girl stared in wonder. She said, I never had a toothbrush that was just mine before. The word became flesh and cared for that young child through that foster mother. Don't you see the gospel story is not just about believing in your head that the incarnation is real, but living in such a way that there's a God that cares about our flesh and blood, our teeth and our toothbrushes, and calls us to care about others in the same way. The incarnation is God revealing God's self to us in Jesus Christ. In fact, that sounds like what we just read in the gospel reading when John said, No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. We haven't seen God, but Jesus Christ came to earth to reveal to us who God is. And how do we reveal something? Lucas gave us a little demonstration, right? We often need some light to see what's around us. So it's no wonder that in the same passage, the gospel writer calls Jesus the light of the world, the true light which enlightens everyone, he says. Jesus was the light that came to reveal God to us. And have you ever noticed how persistent light is? It sneaks into those places that you least expect it. Think about it. Have you ever started to go to sleep in a room that you thought was completely dark? But then, after your eyes adjust, you realize that there's some light seeping in from places, right? All sorts of places, from the small window on the other side of the room, you forgot to turn the light off outside, the laptop light that's flashing and driving you crazy, you wanna throw your towel over it from the crack at the bottom of the door, and suddenly it's not as dark as you thought it was. The light tries to enter in through any broken places it can find. So it's no wonder that Jesus, the light of the world, seeped into our broken world as a newborn child. He found his way into this world through the crack by taking on flesh and dwelling among us. Jean Vanier was a deep thinker with a PhD in philosophy, but stopped teaching when he felt a call to do something different. He felt a call to dwell with people with special needs, much like we've been talking about this morning, to dwell among them. He sensed that call when he was out visiting what was really a kind of depressing and violent institution for people with learning disabilities. When Vanier visited the men in the institution, they asked him, 
if he would visit again. Hey, are you going to come and see us another time? We'd really like to talk again. Behind those words, Fanier said, I sensed a great cry. Why have I been abandoned? Why am I not with my brothers and sisters who are married and living in nice houses? Do you love me? A great thirst for friendship, he said. So he started with a small step in the scheme of what he did, but a big step in anyone's life. He invited those two men to come and live with him. And the L'Arche community was born out of his call to live in community with these two men. L'Arche in French, he's from France, and in French, L'Arche means the ark. And we've already been talking about the ark this morning, right? If you remember, the ark of God, the covenant of God, dwelt in a tent so that God could be with his people. L'Arche, or the ark, is just that. It's a place that God dwells with God's people. As they're there in community, L'Arche provides homes and community for adults with and without intellectual disabilities. Today, L'Arche, rooted in the Roman Catholic Church, has 154 communities in 38 countries. Another organization that Vanier founded called Light and Faith and Life, a very similar group, has 1,500 communities in 83 countries. Wow, that is God dwelling among God's people. The communities operate under a not-for-profit community model different from a business, medical, or social service model. And what is meant by community model is that L'Arche is not just about serving the person with special needs. It's not just about serving someone. It's about being a community together and learning from one another. This quote from Vanier expresses it expresses what I'm trying to say much more eloquently. He says, To love someone is not, first of all, to do things for them, but to reveal to them their beauty and value, to say to them through our, atti- our attitude, You are beautiful. You are important. I trust you. You can trust yourself. We all know well that we can do things for others and in the process crush them. You know, when you're doing something for them, but maybe not thinking about them, just checking something off the list. Making them feel, he goes on to say, making them feel that they are incapable of doing things by themselves. And he closes, to love someone is to reveal to them their capacities for life, the light that is shining in them. That is so beautiful. To love someone is to reveal to them their capacities for life, the light that is shining in them. That is the message of the incarnation. Jesus came and dwelt among us to reveal to us our capacity for life and light. So I ask you this morning, I want to close with this question. How might we do the same? How might we reveal to those around us their capacities for life and light. Amen? Amen.